0: How beautiful, how wonderful that God commands us to worship him and draws us into worship, and then he says, really, I just want to bless you with great beauty as you do that. So thankful for our time together worshiping today, and thankful to have uh, so many of you back with us. Um, Last week, well, let's put it this way. I looked across the street at Wayne and Lorinda's Grow Group on Monday, and I think there were more people at their Grow Group than there were at church last week. So uh, glad people coming back. Let's open in prayer. Thank you for the way you bless us, Father, and thank you for inviting us into this time. Would you speak to us now and direct our hearts to you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Today is a special day. Uh, it's the day of Rocky and Lori's baptism. and Yes, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, event, and we're, we'll be celebrating more in a minute, so ho- hold your celebration just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we have, since I've moved here, I've uh, been here for probably, with Rocky and Lori, maybe six baptisms. I, I could have forgotten, and... Uh, I just want to say, in a minute Terry's going to come up and, and, and baptize Rocky and Lori, and so I just want to say that I can honestly say with the Apostle Paul that I thank God that I baptized none of you. I'm just joking, that's just a scripture. <laughs> I'm really happy about today and just happy to be, be able to witness this uh, Beautiful time. So we're talking about reading the Bible, and this whole month we're talking about teaching and training the church, and and uh, we're gonna be repeating some things, reci- recircling back, uh, circling back to some things that we've talked about before. That's okay to do. Uh, I, I know this years ago when I was just like 14, 15, giving sermons, and I was really nervous before a sermon. My mom tried to comfort me beforehand, and she said. Uh, you know, don't, don't worry about this sermon, Luke. Just a little while after it, nobody's going to remember it anyway. <laughs> and I thought, man, I mean, that's comforting in a way, but in a way it's not. Uh, <laughs> so I know we need to repeat some things. So a, a few months back, Charles talked to us about the Bible, and I'm talking about it again, and we're going to uh, touch on some other things that we've touched on before this month. But it's important for us to revisit some of these ideas that are, that are part of guiding us forward as a church. So we're talking about... Learning to read the Bible again. But let me just remind you of the context in which all uh, of this takes place. And let's don't forget the context. We always have to come back to this. That we are, we are a church that wants to be full of disciples to Jesus. Full of people who know the Lord. Who walk in union with Christ. That is our goal and that's our intent here. And as we talked about last week, the church in general is largely failing in this goal, and we're raising young people who are leaving the church, raising young people who can't talk about the faith because it, comes to, uh, it actually turns out that their parents don't know how to talk about the faith. And, and, and so we want to, to say, what what's happening, and can we come against this? And it's very important that we be intentional in approaching the Scriptures and life together overall. Today we're talking about the Scriptures in particular. We're talking about approaching life together as a whole in a way that takes seriously the idea that we can walk with Christ. So a, a couple of weeks ago, I played a video of a guy named Jordan Peterson, and I got several people giving me feedback on that, kind of piqued my interest, and so this week I decided to listen to an interaction with Jordan Peterson and a Catholic be- priest named Robert Barron, an excellent uh, Christian apologist, very sharp guy. And they had a back-and-forth uh, exchange uh, uh, about different ideas, and it was really a, a enlightening talk, intriguing. But at one point, I was struck because uh, the Bishop Barron w- was talking about how young people are leaving the church. He's talking about the Catholic church particularly, but I, I think it's true of uh, most churches in general in the United States. And he's talking about how this people are leaving the church at an alarming rate. And Jordan Peterson is considering this faith. And he's, as-, as we saw a couple weeks ago, he's coming to think this might be true. And he- he's really evaluating it, and he asked Robert Barron at one point, he says, if that's really true, that, that the narrative world and the objective world touch, that, that actually something happened that we dream about, that Christ actually rose from the dead. If, that, if that's true, how can young people be leaving the church? That's what Jordan Peterson as an outsider asked. And he said, it seems to me, he, he volunteered an analysis, he said, it seems to me that you're not offering them, you're not drawing them in, or maybe even demanding of them something heroic. He said, it seems to me that you're not offering them what you could offer them. This is all paraphrased from me. You're not offering them what you could offer them in light of what's happened, according to you. If what you say has really happened, you ought to be drawing people into something heroic. And I want to say, yes. Yes, that's right. He sees it. But so many people in our churches have not seen it. And we've gotten comfortable with a half-hearted church-attending way of life. But it's not the real thing. And if Christ indeed is risen from the grave, that changes everything. Either it's true, and it demands everything. Or it's not true, and we can set it on the shelf and put it aside. But if that's true... Our lives have to change. Everything in the world has to revolve around this center. And so I want to ask you, how's that showing up in your life? What looks different in your life because Christ has died and Christ has risen and that's really happened? How are you arranging your life around those facts or are you at all? And here's, here's the good news, because some of you sit there and you feel guilty when you hear something like this. Today's the day to start. That, that's the wonderful news with, with Christ. It's never, oh, shame on you, slap you around. It's always, start now. Start now. Pick up and, and arrange everything around you. Put this at the center, because it is true. And today, as we talk about reading the Bible, we're not just talking about, oh, yeah, let's get better at this old thing that Christians tell us to do. We're talking about living in the world with the risen Jesus. That's what reading the Bible for us is about. But you know what's true? Uh, 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 this just goes right along with what we're saying. The, the problem of biblical illiteracy now in our world is proverbial. I mean, you don't you just pick up any study and read about it. Uh, I, I just found some stats online. Only half of Christian adults, this, this is a little bit dated, five years or so, Uh, study, but I don't think it's any better now. Only half of Christian adults can name all four Gospels. Wow. Nearly half don't realize that the golden rule is not one of the Ten Commandments. 48% of Americans read their Bibles fewer than two times a year. That's not saying they read it through (laughs) fewer than two times a year, right? (laughs) It's saying they don't even pick it up and read anything out of it two times a year. Now, you know what I think the, the, the problem is? I think we have forgotten what it means to say we have the word of God. And I don't think we understand what a gift it is that God would reveal himself and say, here's my word. Don't raise your hand, okay? I'm going to ask you a question. I just don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you have intended to read your Bible through this year? Don't raise your hand. And of those of you who have intended it, how many of you actually are going to accomplish it? You know, it's August now. Can you believe it's August? Man, football season's about to start. Okay, how many of you at the end of this year will have read now, I'm not talking about make a change right now in your head and then answer it in an affirmative. But as you came into the church today, how many of you will have read even the New Testament through this year? And just answer it for yourself. But I'm afraid we would be pretty embarrassed by the stats there. And the point, again, is not to, like, choke it down and say, look, I did it. The point is, do we have a real appreciation for the Word? And I want to tell you this. I don't blame you. I don't blame you because I think the church has failed you. I think we have failed to teach people how to read the Bible. We failed to teach them how beautiful a gift it is. And so it's just gone by the wayside. But we want to change that here. We want to see the beauty and significance of the Word and how life-changing it actually is. And we might just start, as we enter into this, start by talking about the deep need for knowledge that we have as human beings. People have always needed to know how to live. And in a a day when information has exploded, I mean, you can know all kinds of things by Googling, by getting on the Internet, but you still can't figure out how to live with a Google search. I mean, I'm not saying you can't get some good advice here and there, but there's a deep human need for knowledge, and there's all kinds of confusion and, and that's, that's actually more of the problem with the explosion of information, where everybody can Google anything. They come up with all kinds of crazy stuff, and people are saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Have you ever Googled before celebrities' opinions about monogamy? Do that sometime and see what they say. And you'll come up with a long. I just chose one. Well, let's see here. My con- my controls not working. Can you go to the next slide for me, please? There you go, that's, that's Hugh Grant. Do I think human beings are meant to be in 40-year-long, monogamous, faithful relationships? No, no, no. Whoever said they were? Only the Bible or something. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, that's right. The Bible or something said that. And if you think it's a bunch of nonsense, then maybe you should challenge that. And we, I just chose one example of so many you can find online of celebrities against monogamy. But we, I mean, it's easy sometimes to pick on the, the sexual issues. What about greed? Greed is good. You ever heard that? Fueling a capitalistic society. Greed is good. You think the Bible might have something to say about that? Think our life might be directed differently, whether or not we think greed is good? So with all this information out there and all these competing claims, how are we going to arbitrate? Look, if God hasn't spoken, then we'll do the best we can without him. But what if he has? Then we are the most foolish of people if we ignore what he said. That's fundamentally where we come to the Bible. We come to it saying we need to know how to live. And God says, I'm going to help you know how to live. Whoops, I messed up. I'm, I'm sorry. Can somebody pull? It wasn't working and now, okay, there we go. Okay, so um, we're going to look at a passage in Nehemiah today. And we're going to notice three things we need to read the Bible, okay? Three things that Nehemiah shows us about reading the Bible. The first is the need for reverent attention to the Word. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of background first. The people have come out of exile. They were exiled because they did not pay attention to the word. And apparently, even after coming out of exile, they haven't paid much attention in the way they, they respond to the word. And as they're restoring the people, Ezra the priest is called upon to take the book of the law and read it to them. They're renewing their covenant. But apparently, some of these people, they've just never even heard it. They have neglected the word. Okay, This is, this is what Nehemiah is telling us about They're being restored. They're renewing the covenant. They're going to live in the the city of Jerusalem again. And here's what they did. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. So he's standing up above them and the the words, not because Ezra is so great, but because the word is so great, it's honored, it's lifted up. Maybe some practical reasons for doing that also. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Now, why do you stand in a setting like that? Well, let me ask you this. When somebody's getting married and the bride walks down the aisle, why do people stand it's special. That's right. It's honoring. I heard, I heard things like that come out. You're saying this is, this is a, a really special moment right here, right? They stood when they saw the book of God open before them. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow, this is really expressive worship in their bodies, right? This might have made Brother Paul uncomfortable. <laughs> this is why we say it, we need to think about putting our bodies into worship. These are people who, they're like, the Word of God, they haven't, they haven't been hearing it, nobody's been reading it to them, and then they see this b- coming out before them, and they stand up and they bow down. It's reverent attention because God is speaking. I'm afraid in a world where we have Bibles sitting all over the place, might as well be used as doorstops, we have forgotten what it means to have a holy book. To have pages that are sacred because they have been touched by the hand of God. Now, this is not to... Uh, ignore Bible difficulties I'm very comfortable talking about all of that this is not to say the Bible uh, doesn't have problems we have to work through interpretive issues, we'll talk about that in just a second but it's to say the Bible is a sacred gift of God and we receive it as such and if we're going to appreciate it we need to begin with reverent attention to it do you know how the early church formed the canon of the New Testament partially Partially, we, the books we ended up with in the New Testament, they were formed by people knowing which books they would be willing to die for. When persecution arose and they said, let's wipe out the scriptures, let's wipe out the biblical books, the books of the church, they had to know whether they were going to give those books up or whether they were going to hide them and say, this is worth my life. And those are the pages that you hold in your hand. The church handed down to us. This is a holy book, and we enter it with reverent attention. Secondly, in Nehemiah, we see the need. If we're going to read the Bible well, we need to read it with clear understanding. The Levites helped the people to understand the law. This is why there are teachers in the church. God has always needed people to help guide and understanding while the people remained in their places they read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading now all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They saw the need to understand what they were reading. And let me say to you today, there's a lot of ignorance that floats around on this that ends up getting us into trouble. And one of the main things you'll hear sometimes that is very misguided is that the Bible is simple. At least that's implied if it's not stated that way. The Bible is simple you ever anybody say, um, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Do you know you can't do that without thinking? The Bible must be interpreted. You can't, you can't read it and not interpret it. We're all doing it all the time. And and, and the the reason we say something like that is, I'm not telling you what I think, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Is What we're really saying is, my interpretation is right and yours is wrong. And so my interpretation equals what the Bible says. And we just need to stop and realize, okay, we are interpreting. We're interpreting people. God has given us a book and he expects us to interpret it. And sometimes that is very, very difficult. I like the, the quote from a, a philosopher. Or it's, it's off the cuff. I don't know if this is exactly right, but he says, basically, opposition to theory, and, and here we might say opposition to interpretation, something along those lines. Opposition to theory is usually opposition to other people's theory and oblivion to one's own. <laughs> Your op- opposition to interpretation is opposition to other people's interpretation. <laughs> And you're oblivious that you're interpreting, right? But we hear this kind of stuff. I'm not telling you what what I think. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. No, you have to interpret. It is what you think, the Bible says. I'm sorry. I know sometimes it seems really clear, but even some of those cases is a superficial understanding. It seems really clear. And we have to dig in and do the hard work of understanding. When people say that the Bible is simple, sometimes they use it as an excuse for not studying. Many times... It is an excuse for a legalistic and authoritarian approach. It says, basically, if you challenge me, the leader, or us, the leaders, you're challenging the Bible itself. If you disagree with me, why are there so many disagreements? Well, because you don't respect the Bible. (laughs) No, there are many disagreements because interpretation is challenging. Part of this has come out of an enlightenment, modernistic understanding of things in general. Back years ago, people thought science was going to show up and and solve all the problems of the world, and we could unite on science. Actually, Alexander Campbell, one of the founders of the Restoration Movement, he, he grasped onto this and tried to come up with an interpretive method that was more scientific and thought we could all unite around that. The problem with that is now people realize that not even science is scientific in that way. Not even science is beyond interpretation. Why do you think there's so many differences about COVID right now? (laughs) Because some people are bad and some people are good. No, that's not it. I'm sorry. One of the reasons there's so many differences is that the science itself has to be interpreted. And uh, people disagree about the science. Well, you won't follow science. Well, you won't follow science. You'll hear people say that. Well, there has to be interpretation that goes into that. And it it requires careful thinking. It's why we shouldn't demonize people who disagree with us on these kind of things. But if if even that requires interpretation, of course the Bible does. And so we need clear understanding. We need to come with a careful approach to interpretation. We need to realize that we read with a tradition. We have a tradition. We have experiences. Sometimes people say, I just read the Bible like on an island by myself. Sorry, you can't do that. Because even if you're on an island, you would be you. You would have your experiences, your background, whoever taught you how to read. Whatever community you came up in, even on an island, you would be influenced. That doesn't mean interpretation is impossible, that we can't move towards objective truth. Certainly we can, but we have to recognize that it's difficult or else we end up in situations where we're, we're condemning everybody who disagrees with us. And we're assuming that our, our view is just a simple answer and everybody should just get on board with us. It's just not like that. So we want to be, as a church, entering carefully into the interpretive process. Realize that we can't interpret without ourselves involved, which includes our past, our experiences, our tradition, our church community, and and I like to think of us. We're interpreting with the church through the ages. It's like passing a basketball around. That's what the word is. Like uh, Saint Augustine to Saint Thomas Aquinas to C.S. Lewis to Mother Teresa to Cory Timboom. All these, these great people who have wrestled with the scriptures, and they, they come to us, speaking to us, and they don't get everything right, and we don't get everything right, but we're, we're interacting together with the Word, and we're interacting then with each other together, with our different experiences and backgrounds and insights. No one person has it all figured out, but we come together, and we think together, we talk together, we reason together around the Word, and we interpret it carefully. Now, I'm going to just move quickly on. This also ties into what I said last week about essential Christian doctrine because salvation is not difficult. And I don't want you to think, man, you've got to get the Bible just right or else you're, you've got to worry. Right? Salvation is the message that's been handed down, the good news that's been handed down, the basic summaries that we have, like in the Nicene Creed, which we talked about last week, of that central core faith. Uh, that is where the salvation of Christ is located. And that guides us, too, gives us parameters for how we approach the Bible. If we had more time, we could talk in more detail about all that. But I, I just want to, to emphasize to you today that we want to be a church that carefully interprets the Bible. And I want to tell you specifically some proposals that I have uh, for this church. That I'm going to be talking with the elders about. One is that we spend some time learning together how to read the Bible better. And have some settings set aside where we can do that. Uh, another is that we take time to memorize Scripture together. Uh, Maybe finding a a couple of really significant passages that as a church we memorize together. Uh, Daniel had the kids doing that a a while back, which is a really sweet thing. Uh, uh, In terms of of the basic Christian doctrine, hopefully this fall we're going to have the privilege of having a world-class theologian here at this church uh, teaching us some basic Christian, and he's, uh, he's a good teacher too, he's not a somebody who's going to lose you in, in the details, uh, uh, and uh, that's going to be an opportunity we present in a seminar setting uh, for this church, and uh, also we want to talk about our family practices because it's, it's the responsibility of families to, to work on these things first, really, and we talk about what are we doing in our home uh, to, to read the Bible well, so those are some things that we're going to be talking about going forward. Last point here before we have Rocky and Lori come up. There's a need for enthusiastic obedience. May I suggest to you that if the word of God has become boring and burdensome to you, it's possible that you're reading it without intending to obey it. Notice what these people do. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive with, with olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the, at the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. You see what they did? They obeyed. They said, the law says do this. We can do it. And notice it wasn't something burdensome. It was a great gift to them. But they had just set it aside. And so they entered it, and they were rejoicing. And as they did so, they continued to read the law. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, noticed the consecration, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. See, they're recognizing as they hear the law, they're recognizing where they've gone wrong and they're repenting and they're turning away. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. I want to say to you that it's only as we become intent upon being obedient to the word that the word will become powerful in our lives. And if you found yourself saying, man, I don't want to read the Bible, possibly it's because you don't see its relevance for you and what you're going to do, how you're going to live. Possibly you haven't said, I'm going to do what it says, by grace and only by grace. Now, it may be that you just haven't understood it, right? It may be that you haven't come to it with reverent attention. These three points that we've talked about. Because you've, in our society, you've, you've lost the sense of God speaking. Or you've lost an ability to understand it. It's been covered over with traditions that, that uh, cloud your vision. But it may also be that you've kind of said, you know, I know how I'm going to live, and if God speaks in the Word, it's not going to be much different. Brothers and sisters, we dare not neglect the great gift that God has given us in his word. Take that as a point of emphasis. (laughs) It's not just that we read it and do it also. Let Let me say this. It's that God actually meets us in the word presently. That's why when we read the Word in the church and when we preach the Word in the church, this should be thought of as an audible sacrament. God is speaking to us. That's what was happening for them. Sometimes the Word is read and and absolutely nothing happens. It's dull and it's it's weak and people aren't attentive to it. But, But when something happens, it's because God pulls people's hearts open and pours himself in. That's what he did for those people. That's what led to their confession, their repentance, their worship, their obedience. God still speaks in his word today. I know a man, he's an elder in the church. Some of you know him, Mark Elliott. Uh, he's an elder in the church in Louisiana, a wonderful man. He started studying the Bible. In his testimony, I've heard him say this. He started studying the Bible to prove people wrong. He was an atheist or an agnostic. Didn't believe, was hardened against it. But it's like some Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody came over and wanted to argue. So he said, I'm going to prove them wrong. He started studying the Bible to prove them wrong. And in his testimony, I still remember what he said years ago. He said, guess what? When you start reading the Bible, you start believing in Jesus. <laughs> because God grabbed a hold of his heart. When he was just reading the Bible. And today he's an elder in the church. God speaks in his word. This is a sacrament. This is grace for us. Don't beat yourself up because it's hard. You've learned some bad practices. You've absorbed a world around you that's made it hard. Okay, let's work on that. Let's work on that together as a church. And let's come to see the relevance that the word of God has for all of us together.